and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and I am super thrilled to welcome you to 2019. Uh, I hope everyone's enjoyed the festive season, a break if you've had a break. Uh, shout out to all of the people who, for whatever reason, weren't able to take a break. I myself was in hospitality and retail for, uh, well, until I was 35. So, uh, I totally understand what it means to serve while everybody else enjoys their festive season. Um, and it took me a while to come around to just getting in there and partying with everybody, uh, to feel like I got one too. So to all the people who had to work, to all the people who got the rest, I hope it was great either way, and I'm really excited about this year on the show. Uh, I wanted to start this year with a couple of mashups, actually. So I'm calling it a bit of a summer series, if you like. I got the idea from the lovely Brooke McCallery, who does a, a long summer series uh, for uh, her Slow Home podcast. And uh, But there were just a couple of topics that I wanted to revisit because I felt that uh, some of these shows were super popular. Some of them uh, weren't as popular. I'm like, why? They are gold. And maybe it's because they're earlier shows and it just means we were a smaller audience back then and less people got the chance to listen to some of them. So I've mashed up together a couple of topics. This week we are talking sleep. And uh, I'm really excited about the three shows that I have extracted three really great sort of 20-ish minute chunks from uh, to bring you an overall picture of uh, how to be a sleep ninja because uh, there there are a few tricks to it, right? And uh, sometimes it's not incredibly easy for some people and there can be a lot of hidden factors as to why. And hopefully today's show and what each of the guests brings to the table in the sleep discussion helps move you further along. If you're not a great sleeper or if you know someone who isn't, I would so love it if you tag them or shared the show with them because there are a lot of people who aren't getting great sleep or enough sleep. Uh, and, uh, and there's, there's a lot, there are a lot of things that we can do to sort that out. So we have three guests. The first is Dr. Fiona Kerr, and she was actually uh, very early on in the shows, as was the next guest, uh, um, Dr. Ron Ehrlich. And then the other guest, actually, they were all really early shows. That's why I want to put these together for you guys to just make sure you got all the goodness from these incredible chats. Uh, and then the third is Alex Fergus, who's a professional personal trainer and uh, has done some fantastic sleep hacking and uh, some, made some really amazing discoveries. So Dr. Fiona Kerr is a neurologist. Uh, Dr. Ron Ehrlich is a an holistic dentist. And as I mentioned, Alex is a PT. And I think from the three different angles, uh, you get a really amazing look at what makes for great sleep. So before I hook into that for you guys, I just wanted to invite you to join us at the Lotox Club. It is slowly building. There's some great chats happening there. You can pay whatever you want per month to join us. You just sign up via the Patreon website. Um, you know, if you just jump onto Patreon and then search uh, Lotox Life, it'll come straight up. You can pledge a dollar, two dollars, four dollars. I always like to suggest the cost of a cup of coffee. It is in US prices if you need to do conversions. And, uh, and what it then means is you join our Lotox Club chat group and we go into a bit more of a deep dive with the guests. 
often when I record guests, we uh, have started doing like little bonus extra Q&A time for uh, the clubbers. Uh, so all the clubbers get uh, um, a look at who's coming up on the show and any questions they want answered. And we then create bonus uh, little segment uh, that we pop in Patreon and in our Facebook chat group um, that just the clubbers get, which is very special. And then we do like little seven day sprint challenges on all sorts of aspects of living a low tox life. We've done things like, uh, what have we done so far? We've done for seven days, making space and time for two hours of intentional movement per day. That could be walking, yoga, whatever. And just for seven days, it doesn't have to be a sustained um, practice, but just to see what more movement actually does for us. Sometimes it's good to go hard for a week and go, wow, actually I feel much better. So I'm going to go from half an hour to one hour is my regular sort of amount of time that I walk or etc. And uh, And we've done another challenge, which was to pick seven things that you have let slip by the wayside, you haven't got around to doing, it's starting to really annoy you that it's still not done. And we just ticked off a whole bunch of stuff off our to-do lists. And, uh, and it was so fantastic to motivate each other through that. And this year we've got some really great challenges coming up, um, five cups of greens and lots of, uh, recipe inspo and all sorts of different things. So it's an amazing little resource, a chat group, a space that I hang out and regularly answer questions on. We have a fantastic service where we have ask your naturopath, our beautiful Steph on the team on Tuesdays between two and three Sydney time for any, um, questions that have been asked in our ask your naturopath uh, a question thread, she pops in and answers everybody and people just get such great value out of that. So, uh, there's a stack of fantastic, uh, things on offer and the value will only increase as more of you guys join. So all the details are either on the show notes for, if you need a clickable link, or if you're just in front of the computer right now, and you don't want to um, mess around getting into the show notes, just go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N and, uh, find Lotox Life, pledge, and you're in. You'll get the private Facebook group uh, link and voila. So um, the second thing I wanted to tell you about is we have a fantastic January sponsor, The Natural Bedding Co. So many people on the book tour were asking me last year, who did you buy your mattress from or how, like what kind of mattress should I be getting? What kind of pillows should I be getting? I am a huge fan of natural latex. Uh, a lot of people prefer wools and cottons. Uh, there are, there are hemp materials being used for mattresses as well, and they're all fine. Uh, but I do love natural latex. Uh, personally, if it's a really well-made mattress with lots of good little holes in it, it gives you plenty of breathing room. It means you don't get too hot or too cold. And, uh, and I just love the way it hugs your body. It's such a great, uh, feeling to sleep on a latex mattress. Uh, and so, um, I, I use a latex pillow as well. The whole family does. And the Natural Bedding Co. has given us, uh, with the code Lotox Beds, funny that, uh, 10% off their range. So, you know, given it's January and, um, you might have a few New Year's resolutions about updating that mattress. I've also put in the show notes the link to the service in Sydney, at least, and actually nationally in Australia, that come and pick up old mattresses and are able to recycle almost all of the mattress for further purposes. 
and uh, there are a few other resources for other countries in there as well because you don't want to be throwing out a big item like that and just sending it straight to landfill when there are so many parts of that mattress that can be repurposed for other things by a professional recycling company, repurposing company, uh, which is really inspiring. So if you need a bed and if you're in the market for a bed or a pillow, then head to the National Bedding Company and enjoy that 10% off. Now, it's time for the show. I hope you guys enjoy this mashup and, uh, and, and, and don't have your sort of your heads blown off too much by the sheer amount of topics that are covered in the next 60 minutes. But I'm really stoked with what I've strung together for you guys. They're really the best of the best parts of these shows. There's a whole bunch of other fantastic information in each of the shows if you then want to go and listen to them separately. But for now, enjoy. Here's Dr. Fiona Kerr. So one of the areas, probably the major area that I love, is that we can build new brain at any age, all of us. And there's a number of ways, uh, but one of the ways is to sleep. (laughs) Whether it's napping or sleeping, it is an absolutely critical method of uh, being creative, of um, also doing a lot of other things, which we'll talk about over the half an hour. Um, but it's it's an, uh, got an amazing capability um, to do a number of things for both your body and your brain. Mm. So, oh, I'm so passionate about sleep and I think it's one of those areas of health that um, has very much been a mess for me and when you <laughs> conquer a mess... I'm a big believer in it becoming a message to help others do the same, especially when it comes to sleep and the epidemic lack of sleep that we experience in our culture today. So uh, you mentioned just a couple of things briefly there, and we're all told we need to sleep more and we should be looking at seven to eight hours a night um, and that it's very important to our health, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can you help us understand just how crucial the importance of sleep is with the help of your cat there? Yeah. <laughs> locked in. Uh, I had a meeting two hours ago and the person sailed off back up home and rang me from an hour away saying, I've got your cat in the car. Oh. <laughs> so that's great. Um, so she's very friendly. Okay. Um, yes, I can. Mm. So one of the main things around, um, around understanding why sleep is so important is the the role that it plays at different periods of the night. So, yes, we've been told that we, we should average six to seven hours. Uh, some people talk about eight, nine, the more the better. That's not actually true. Ah. It's really interesting work on the fact that if you have more, if you regularly have more than sort of eight to nine, you um, the, the sort of bell-shaped peak of living longer and more healthily goes starts to go down again. Ooh, so my husband's not going to be happy about that sleep. one. <laughs> <laughs> but you're absolutely right. We have an epidemic of it, not enough. And mm. we will probably, you know, we can talk about why, what, what disturbs us. And a lot of it is things like electrical light, television. So why do you get distracted at night and watch those things? And, 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 uh, and that gets into willpower and we'll get into that. So six to seven hours. Yeah. If we look at, why do you need the six to seven hours? We'll break it down to what happens. In the first, I, I, I guess I call it work and play for your body. Mm. So the first few hours, most of what you do is you you maintain the body. So your brain is hard at work on maintenance. Yeah. And that includes organising what's happening in the rest of the body and also in the brain. So the especially 
the first oh, probably up to four hours of, if you're going to have six or seven at least. It has very little REM sleep and mostly the, the cycles of sleep that allow for things like uh, sticky plaque to be removed off your, um, off your uh, different parts of the neurons and it keeps uh, all sorts of electrical stimuli and, and you know, oxygen bearing capacity um, up to scratch. So it really does clean it up to make sure that it maintains and works well. So you just said sticky plaque. How does the sticky plaque get there in the first place? Oh, we, we make it. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a byproduct, if you like, of, uh, and that's a whole other discussion, but it's a byproduct of a number of things. We know some of them, we don't know others. Um, some of that plaque is the type of plaque that builds up when you get various forms of, um, of dementia and, and those kinds of um, issues that mm -hmm. you get later. But what we need is the capacity for things called glial cells to actually come along and clean it off. Mm. And they can work really well um, overnight. They, that's one of the things they're tasked to do. It's so something it's we can't topics. do while we're awake? No, we mm. don't do it while we're awake. Um, so that, that really is a major task of early sleep. So it's maintenance of body and brain. Then we get into, uh, we get into the, the filing and then the play. So we get into something called pre-REM2 after we've done the maintenance. And what that does, it's, it's fascinating in that what it does is it files away the information and the learning, or to create it as learning, of the information that you've, you've got during the day. So it starts to say, well, this bit is in this file, this bit is in that file, this bit is in this file. And so it embeds it into the different parts of your brain. And what that allows you to do is we is really to, to store it in the neocortex because otherwise what you get is a discussion on memory would take us into all different lengths of time that we take to embed information across our brain um, in the process of memory. Mm. Right from the very first time you look at something and it's only a few seconds or 20 seconds, I think, and then it's overwritten. If you don't use it, the neurons use for something else. Um, right down to being able to hold it, sort of shuffling it from the, the inbox of the real working memory to short-term memory to mid-term memory to, you know, neocortical storage. And, and so the filing takes information and puts it into the filing system. So now you've got a cleaner brain and stuff's filed away. Wow. Then you get into REM. Mm -hmm. So REM sleep allows you to play, allows your brain to play. So that's when it almost, if you like, takes the bits of jigsaws that you've built up and it starts to make the pattern. It starts to build the jigsaw. So there's a number of things that happen in REM. The pieces can get taken out. It's, it's called an abstractive state. So you're, it's almost like your brain, the little bits of your brain loosen off and they can move around <laughs> and, and make new connections. Well, I know this is filed here and that's filed there, but what if we join this bit and that bit? Oh, look at that. It's brand new. So all that creative stuff mm. um, and that extrapolation, that's much more up that, that end of sleep. So what, and how long have we been asleep at this stage? About five hours? Yeah, yeah, um, probably almost six. Uh -huh. but yes. Um, so for most people, it was between six and eight, uh, or six and seven. So some people would probably be five to seven, but you definitely have to be in that, you know, sixth to seventh hour of sleep. And what you get then is you get this fantastic uh, capability. That's where you get the creative 
um, ideas. That's where you wake up in the morning and go, yep, that's what I need to do. And it's where you get your unusual ideas as well because one of the things that allows us to create these joined up new ideas is the the part of your brain that's at the front, so the frontal cortex, that's the bit that sort of cooks the latest. It, it only forms in your 20s, basically, mm. um, and a bit later for, <laughs> for boys, um, only because it's delayed a little bit by testosterone kind of midway. Um, and that's the area that has the, if you like, it's the policeman, it's the rules and regulations. You can't walk through a wall, you can't um, fly. Whereas in a dream, yes, you can. Oh, wow. And it's because the frontal cortex has been powered down. So it's not putting those rules onto what your brain's building. And it's why you can do all sorts of really interesting, inventive things in dreams that are impossible. And if you didn't do that, if you didn't have that frontal cortex kind of it's not looking, then you wouldn't be able to do these really unusual new sort of connections, which come up quite often with really interesting inventions or, or you know, way out there ways of thinking. So, so when we're in REM, we're actually taking in more oxygen than when we're awake because our brain's really, really busy. And that's fascinating because it's been proven, obviously, that just before the sunrise is when oxygen is at its highest form in the atmosphere, in, in the air we breathe. So let's just say back in the old days when we were basically campers. Um, yes. Thank God we're not now. Sorry, that's just a personal <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, then that actually fits beautifully with what you've just said about what that pre-sunrise sleep um, yes. is. Well, it does, and now you're getting into you're you're starting to get into the other bit of why I'm a systems and neural complexity specialist because you're bringing in the system that you live in, mm. and you're absolutely right. So another part of that system then is because because the sun had gone down and we didn't have electric light or television, of course by then we'd have been in our six to eight hours of of sleep. Yeah. Whereas now, very often, if you go to bed at one or two, you're not. Mm. So you miss that, and we're inside anyway. And, and especially if you're in kind of a hotel room with, you know, air conditioning and grogginess anyway. Um, so there's all sorts of things to do with um, positive ions and those things too. Another fascinating thing about the later sleep though is it even affects or is affected by epigenetics. So when you the, in those later hours of sleep, what happens is the, the, RD, the RNA and the DNA actually acts differently. Um, and it increases the capability. The, the gene expression for memory and for learning is stronger in the later hours of sleep. So what that means is that it kind of turns around your body's capacity, even at that level, um, to, it, it has an effect on the adult neural stem cells. So it increases neurogenesis, you could, you're building a new brain. Mm -hmm. And you're also being able to move around stuff. You're, you're embedding it differently because it's more plastic. And your learning has increased uh, because you've not only got this filed information, which is now being held by the neocortex, but it's loosened off and you can throw it around a bit and you can see what new patterns emerge. Wow. So, so for the sleep is critical. Okay, so I'm just going to bring in a group of people that I work with a lot, which is parents of small people. Um, <laughs> not necessarily just newborns, but just lots of little kids in, in our community. And um, quite often they will get woken up. It's just a reality in the night or in the morning. How does all of this affect them? And Right. 
Do we have to accept it as a time in our lives and we do more brain building a bit later on or what can we do? Oh, you still, um, there's, there's some work on that type of disruption and there's definitely some people who are better at being disrupted than others as mm-hmm. well. Um, so I'm a catnapper, so I've always been able to do that. I will get on to naps because they're yeah. really important. Um, so what used to happen with me was I had a lovely second child who fed every two hours mm. for for nearly two years. Gosh. And so what I was very good at, he only wanted 10 minutes, so what I was really, really good at was just the 10 minutes, put him back, straight back to sleep. And... and what goes to your question is how we can almost train our brains to go more quickly into certain cycles. So if we skip across into looking at meditation, mm. there's two or three types, there's three major types of meditation, but one of the things that you can do, one of the types of meditation, increases the capability for us to more rapidly dip down into that, you know, that, that um, red sleep. And it's why a yogi can kind of go into that stage, you can give them something complex and then they're almost zoomed straight down into there and then they come out because they've, they've gone into that kind of extrapolation, extractive process mm. and, uh, and it's fascinating. It is fascinating. Um, I was feeling a bit blah today and I thought, oh, God, I've got to interview Dr. Fiona Kerr tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, I've really got to be on game. And so I meditated for 20 minutes and, um, and look at me now. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we lead into naps? Then? Yes, let's do because it. That's a really good way to start to go into naps. So one of the things that's interesting about um, about taking that sort of time out, that mental time out, is that the time you take becomes really important. Mm-hmm. So so up front, I'll say that um, we, we haven't got it right, like, um, like a lot of Asian and European countries. We don't nap in the middle of the day, mm. and we should. So we are built, absolutely built for two sleeps a day. We have a, a homeostatic curve and, or rhythm, basically, and we have a circadian rhythm. And, you know, one does this and one does that. So they, they're pulling us the wrong way for most of the day and evening. But around the middle of the day, they align. Right. And that's when we should have a sleep. Mm-hmm. And it does a number of things. So, so really... Um, I guess quickly, if we look at naps, we can have short naps and long naps. And if you are you a cat napper? I can definitely nap. Yeah, definitely. And how long yeah. do you nap? Um, if I've got a, a busy normal work day, I'm not going to take more than twenty minutes. Yeah. Okay. So twenty minutes is a really good uh, oh, nap. Phew. Time. <laughs> That's yes. good. But they do different things. If yeah. you, a short nap does quite a different thing in your brain than a long nap. And the in-between nap, don't go there. <laughs> so why? The in-between so nap is the one yes. where you're just groggy for the rest of the day, yes, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. So we talked about um, we talked about the frontal cortex powering down when you go into you know the REM sort of cycle. Um, but if we have a, a nap that sorry up to about twenty five minutes, you don't get into that. You're in those kind of peripheral first stages of, of sleep. You don't hit deep sleep. So what that does is it's like a it's like a you know a lovely shower for your brain. It it, it if you if we think about it again as the the really short term memory is like your inbox and then there's the um, that's the real working memory, sorry. And then there's the short, medium and long. So the 
the very beginning of the inbox, what the 20-minute nap allows you to do is kind of empty it because then you can put more stuff in. So you can yeah. pop that into the, the short-term memory and if we're going to use it or embed it, then great, then it will go into sort of a longer memory. So that 20 minutes allows a number of things. So a short nap um, allows you to be more alert and more attentive of various things. It allows a number of uh, well, capacities to, to increase again. You can have better qualitative and quantitative capability. But what it doesn't go into is the, the creative aspect of the long nap. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, it's a really good thing to do. So it, it really does assist the whole body and brain to get back on task, to get sharper. If you want to keep having 10-minute naps, the, the downside of that, just to let you know, is every now and then there's some types of work where people will just keep taking little tiny naps because they have to keep going. Mm. And the problem with that is if you're only taking the, the 10, 15 minutes, you have this feeling of alertness. I'm fine. I'm okay. And if you keep doing that and don't let yourself go into the longer when you need it, then you will feel like you're doing very well, but you're you have a really impaired sense of judgment. Right. So you cannot just keep having little naps. Mm. Um, so the 20-minute the nap is fantastic for alertness and for um, that general well-being, mm-hmm. and everyone should do that because, it, as I said, it allows you to sort of fill back up on, on information and capability. Question, do we get a benefit if we can't successfully fall asleep for that 20 minutes? Well, we're still resting. Mm. And you get better at it. Yeah. It's almost like a practice thing. Um, it, it gets, and that partly gets into willpower, which we'll, we'll talk about too. But, um, but yes, you still do. Because even if you're shutting your eyes, what I say sometimes to people is if you've got no other capability, then just take five to ten minutes to shut your eyes. Mm. Because visual stimuli, what we take in through our eyes, is more than 50% of the stimulation of the brain. Wow. So as soon as you close your eyes, you are massively cutting what we have to cope with, thousands and thousands of pieces yeah. of information constantly. The first thing I thought of there was, you know, the, the classic woman, uh, 10 tabs open on the computer, three different windows, you know, a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. And everything else. Yeah. Yes. Um, and you, what you notice is sometimes when I'm talking about this and I've got, a, say, a smaller group of masterclass on this and I make them close their eyes for two minutes. And when they do, at first they kind of, and then every one of them at some time, sort of close to that two minutes, gets this sort of chemical. Mm. <laughs> because you really do um, get some really nice chemicals that start to, to come into, you know, calming you down. Um, so... If nothing else, yes, it does. Yeah. So the twenty-minute nap, and you you do get good at that. Uh, I, I'm absolutely I'm able to. Well, I, I still do set an alarm usually, just because then I can completely relax. Mm, I do um, too. Exactly. Yes. Mm. Yes. So some people they just they can do it. They know it. They can do it in twenty minutes. They'll wake up at exactly twenty minutes. And I probably normally do wake up. Um, but just so that I'm not going to hover in what's called hypervigilance, wondering about mm, it, yeah. um, I set my alarm. So the death zone is 30 to 60 minutes. So when I talk to people about, no, I hate the death people, zone, that's normally it. it. Yeah. So your, your brain is saying, okay, you're going to go into long REM sleep. I'm going to start shutting down the fundamentals. Yeah. 
there was someone waits you in there and your brain's rushing to put blood back into this front and you've got that really, really foggy, fuzzy, headachey feeling. Mm. And people say, oh, I hate napping. So you either do the, the sort of 20, 25 minutes or you do the hour, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And they do different things. The front bit has made you alert and perky and, and off you can go with things. If you need to be problem solving in complex problems or you need to be creative, do the hour to hour and a half. Ooh, okay. Because what that does is it start, it, it allows you to have one of those um, sort of long cycle, you know, REM episodes almost. So what's um, fascinating is some of the latest information and research around giving people an activity to do. So if I was to give you something to do that was quite complex, I could test you, give you something to do, and then I get you to sleep for half an hour and come back and I give you uh, a harder or more information in another kind of complex project, you'll probably do as well as you did the first time. Mm -hmm. If I was to get you to go and sleep for an hour and a half and come back and give you that kind of similar level of complexity, more information, you will do better. Not only will you do better um, than the people who've only slept for 20 minutes, you'll do better than the you did um, at the first time wow. so before you had your sleep mm. because it does two things when we have a long nap we increase retention of information we increase speed of retention of information so your brain can work faster at trying to find those patterns mm. and trying to um, build an, a capacity for you to deal with that type of specific information and um, an activity and problem um, it's, it can be really hard though trusting it sometimes. So for me, for an example, probably three, four months ago, I had a, oh no, it was, it was June the 31st or have we got 31 days in June? Anyway, it's the last day in June. June 30th, yeah. <laughs> and, and I had a, a big project to deliver to the state government. And I'd kind of lost my way. I was obviously trying to put too much in. I had this deadline, so I was in a cortisol, I was all stressed. Uh, and and I made myself have a little sleep because I'd gone down a rabbit hole with information and I'm thinking, this is crazy. If I do this at this level, I'm never going to get it done. Yeah. And I made, and I slept 20 minutes and I woke up and I was going back off to do the same thing. And I thought, you know, Fiona, what you have to do. So my logic was telling me, you need the hour and a half. And my stress was telling me, no, 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 you need to get on with it. Mm. You need to get on with it. And I made myself have the hour and a half. And it was incredible. I woke up and I thought, hang on. It's this angle I need to take. And I've written that three years ago, and that is really relevant. If I take that in and put it here, and if I don't go down that bit, but I actually cross that and that and that, then that's going to really, that was all in this. So I, once I trusted it, it, it happened. Yeah. And so it is a really, really different process once you get into that long-term nap. Oh, sorry, that, yeah, that's right, that long-term nap. Yeah. Because it, it does all of that extractive capacity um, work for you. How cool is it that the longer you nap around into the one and a half hours, the better you become at problem solving? 
but that that dead zone between 30 and 60 minutes has been described because I've always found that that made me feel super groggy if I slept in the day between 30 and 60 minutes. And uh, Dr. Fionica just did such a great job to talk about that and all things sleep stages and, and what the magic of sleep does for us, our brains, our creativity, our filing system. I just loved it. So I hope you did too. And now over to Dr. Ron Ehrlich to talk about our mouths and what they have to do with sleep and some strategies around everything from crowded mouth to mouth breathing and more. It's a really interesting chat that uh, a lot of people don't know this stuff. And I think we really need to start thinking a bit more broadly about why some of us have sleep issues. So enjoy. Your practice, obviously your work focuses on um, the shape of the jaw and in relation to the respiratory uh, tract. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, uh, structurally why so many of us might be suffering from um, a poor night's sleep and just not getting to the root cause of it when actually it's here quite yeah. often? Well, uh, you know, one of the common um, problems is that uh, people, uh, well, you, you made two points there. One is about quality, uh, quantity, mm-hmm. yeah, and, that, and the other is about quality. So quantity, I think most uh, in 80 to 90% of cases, 90% of cases, we need, people in the population need between seven and nine hours sleep. So let's say an average of eight hours sleep a night. That's 90% of the population. Mm. Now, the people that sleep four or five hours a night, um, they probably know they are not getting enough sleep. Yeah. Interesting group is the group that sleeps six hours a night because they think they are getting enough sleep, but in tests, it shows that in fact they perform almost as badly as those that sleep four to five hours a night. Ooh, so then, wow. so quality, quantity, sorry, quantity is, is really important, getting enough sleep. But quality is the other thing. Putting your head on the pillow is not enough. You actually have to breathe well while you're asleep to get enough oxygen through to the cells in the body to regenerate the body. Now, you know, the connection here between the jaw and the quality of breathing and therefore sleeping is this. The upper jaw, we, we should all, we've evolved to have 32 teeth. You know, it's taken us millions of years, here we are, and we've evolved to have 32 teeth in our mouth. Uh, that means uh, 16 on the top jaw, 16 on the lower jaw. Now, when I ask this question of, of people in talks that I've given over the last year or so, I ask how many people in the room, how many people in this audience listening to us now have enough room, now I know this is true of you, Alex, so don't <laughs> He's my dentist. Uh, but, um, but how many people listening to this have all 32 of their teeth through and in perfect alignment? Now, that's important. So do you have your wisdom teeth in place? If they've been removed or they're still impacted, that doesn't count. You can't put your hand up. If you've had teeth removed for orthodontic treatment, that doesn't count either. If your teeth in the front are slightly crowded, they should be perfectly aligned. Um, that doesn't count either. That means your teeth and uh, the, the jaw is slightly narrow. Now, the significance of that is this. If the upper jaw is narrow, if the palate, well, let's look at this. Here's a piece of paper, and if this is my palate, it should be broad and flat. And if it is broad and flat, 
not only is the roof of my mouth, the palate broad and flat, but the floor of my nose is as well. If I have a narrow jaw, then my palate is very high. And if my palate is high, then the floor of my nose is restricted. And then so is the sinuses and the turbulence also narrow. Now, if I have a narrow jaw and I have a crowded lower teeth, then I don't have enough room for my tongue in my mouth. Now, let's talk about ideal position of your tongue. Your lips should be, as you are sitting there now, very good, Alex. You are sitting there with your mouth, lips lightly touching your tongue, I hope, is on the roof of your mouth. Mm-hmm. You are breathing through your nose. That's ideal position. Okay, now, if you don't have enough room for your tongue, a couple of things happen. One, you may just keep your mouth open as people, are, you know, you're listening to people or watching TV or working and your mouth is open and your tongue is on the floor of the mouth or your tongue could drop back to block the airway, which when you're asleep, that can happen very easily. Mm. So when I ask this question, how many people have all 32 of their teeth, in my experience, 95% of our population at least, at least, do not have enough room for all of their teeth. And that means if you've got a narrow jaw, you've got a narrow airway, and if you've got a narrow airway, you're predisposed to breathing issues. Mm. And when you combine that with environmental toxins, food sensitivities, food allergies, which inflame the um, nasal passages, it makes it even more difficult to breathe through our nose. Mm. So, So this is the connection. This is the things that we as dentists, certainly in our practice, I mean, our practice, as you know, is in the middle of the city, in the city, and there are four or five five practitioners there now. And and we, you know, we all are focusing on on this issue of not only how well people are brushing and flossing, as they should, but how well are you sleeping? And and that's what the connection is there between dentistry. And because we see people so regularly, you know, we see people every six months, Mm. whenever you're coming in for your hygiene, it's a perfect profession to monitor how well people are doing. Absolutely. So obviously there'll be a lot of us with crowded mouths and you and I have spoken about this before in terms of um, nutrition, preconception um, through the young years of first solids and up to five when that jaw's still very much forming. Um, But let's say obviously we're adults out there, we've got these crowded mouths and we are having a bad night's sleep. Um, Finally, it's uh, identifiable that it's not my husband's fault, it's actually just the way his mouth is structured that he snores. Um, so I'm very sorry, Ollie. Um, uh, what can we actually do? Is there something we can do? Absolutely. And then the, of course, the beauty of this is the human story is the human body is incredibly resilient. Mm. So not everybody needs to run out and get their teeth aligned and straightened and, and the jaws expanded to make room. For, for all their teeth. If they're looking for a reason to do it, I actually think the best reason to do that is airway. Yeah. People go at it because they want to look better, but actually the most important reason is a better airway. But I'm not telling people they have to do that because there are so many things we can do and the human body is incredibly resilient and has the ability to rebuild and, and regenerate and, and do some wonderful things. So the first thing, well, the first thing to realise is what actually is a good night's sleep. Mm. Okay, so I think you want to start with that. And, and you've got to say, without a doubt, 
the most important part of the day. If you're interested in your health, if you're serious about your health and the health of your partner, your loved one and your family and friends, is that sleep is the most important part of the day. Because it's during sleep that your body rebuilds, regenerates, mind reboots, if you like, and, and that's where a lot of really good stuff happens. Absolutely. And I've interviewed, um, you'll love this interview, Ron, uh, uh, Professor Fiona Kerr, who talks all about, um, with us all, each phase of sleep over that seven, seven and a half hours to being critical to our overall uh, sense of well-being, but also our sense, our mental performance, um, both in terms of creativity and memory and coping. Um, it's just fascinating. I mean, our challenge in the modern world, because we are confronted by so many stresses in terms of chemical stress, our food isn't what it should be, our emotional stress, financial, social, all that sort of stuff, is to build resilience into our into our bodies, mm. and, and and sleep is a great place to start. I mean, if you're not sleeping well, you could be on the best diet, exercising till the cows come home. You are fighting a losing battle here, I'm afraid to say, in the long run. So I, I think sleep's the most important thing. We've said eight hours as an average for ninety percent of the population. Some need seven, some need nine, but let's say eight hours. A typical sleep cycle involves five stages of sleep. Stage one is when you're kind of dozing off. Stage two is when you're asleep. Stage three and four are really important stages where growth hormone kicks in, where a lot of the, of the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in, which is all about rest and, and recuperate. Um, and, and those four stages are, called, are part of what's called the non-rapid eye movement part of sleep. And then the fifth stage is the rapid eye movement, REM. And in that stage, you know, we go into a deep level of sleep and, and uh, that's believed, used to be believed to be where people dream, but actually dreaming occurs in stages three and four as well. That whole cycle of five stages takes 90 minutes. And ideally, we should cycle through that 90-minute period four or five times a night. And that, that gives us that period. Now, if your sleep is being disturbed by um, a noisy partner snoring or having for you to get up at night to go to the bathroom, then you're not going into those deeper stage three or four levels of sleep and you're not getting that re the regenerative sleep that you should. So, so that is what a good night's sleep should look like. Um, going through those stages, having the quality of, of breathing while you're asleep, and sleeping long enough to, to do that, you know, to recover. Um, so, so, you know, you ask, what can we do about it? We can do so much. And mm -hmm. the first thing to do is to prioritise it. So once you realise and accept, both you and your partner and your family all accept that it's an important part of everyone's health, let's focus on it, then it starts to take on a whole new, it's a whole new beast. And then you can start to really do uh, some great stuff. And then you have to start thinking about proper sleep hygiene. Yeah. Okay. And so let's get to the crowded mouth people. Mm -hmm. What can they do? What are some of the... You go to your dentist, you're presented with some options. What are those options? Well, well, in our practice, I think this is our general approach to health issues. There is a hierarchy of treatment. Yeah. You see, just because I can do something, 
doesn't mean it needs to be done. Okay, it's tempting, I know, I love doing that kind of stuff, but just because I can do it doesn't mean you need it. Yes. So what I would prefer to do is encourage people to start with the simple. And the simple is to get into a good routine, to set up your room and temperature with the light, with the air, with your food, so that you're more likely to sleep well. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's the preferred method, to eat well and, and, and sleep well, etc. Now, if you are wanting then to do something about about the, um, the airway from a dental perspective, what we're tending to do is to create space to make room for the teeth. Now, when you know the, the, what defined a holistic dentist is that there's a person attached to the teeth, and a good example of this is like for 50 years uh, in Australia, in fact, globally, when people had crowded teeth, the dentists or the orthodontists who just focused on the teeth, not the person attached to the teeth, went, oh, your teeth are crowded, the way we can solve this problem is by removing a couple of teeth and making room for the teeth. And that is a dentist focusing just on the teeth and gums. Mm. But if you take a step back from that and say, no, the person has to breathe, so by removing teeth and making the mouth smaller, albeit more aligned, that's not helping them as much as I could. The better way of approaching that is to expand the upper and lower jaw and make more room and then try to get the muscles of the lip and the tongue into balance to keep those, those teeth aligned. So, but essentially our, our approach when we do orthodontics on patients and, um, you know, our youngest is kids, you know, young, young oh, I suppose five, five's a bit young, although we do give kids at that age some uh, soft appliances to help them breathe. They're called myofunctional appliances that are really good that set up a, a better breathing pattern and a better um, muscle tone around the lips and the tongue because they're the best orthodontic appliances known to man, woman or child. If your tongue is on the roof of your mouth and your lips are lightly touching, those two muscles, the broad tongue, will create a broad upper arch and the lightly touching lips will keep things nicely aligned. So if the tongue and the lips are in good balance, then the teeth will stay well um, aligned. But if, if your tongue, if they're not out of balance, so those kind of appliances that we use for five-year-olds, ten-year-olds, they're called myofunctional appliances or trainers, fantastic, particularly when we work in conjunction with nutrition and get the airways working well. Mm -hmm. And then as we get older, um, expansion appliances, removable plates of many diff different designs that create more space. And then ultimately uh, getting the final alignment of the teeth can be done through um, Invisalign or braces. Right. Okay. So, so, things that can be done. so you would say even for adults, like if, if a crowded mouth has been identified as an issue, far better an investment than sleeping pills and, and sleep apnea machines. Um, well, it would be better to look at your long-term strategy, at least hand-in-hand, hand, <laughs> to, um, to sort out your crowded mouth situation. Well, I think, I think it's part of the issue, uh, Alexa. It's tempting for me to say yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. But this, I, I, yeah, I just want to make sure everyone gets yeah. some, some real no, I, ideas. I would encourage them to prioritise, mm -hmm. to get their routine in order, to make sure the temperature of their room, that they're not eating too soon before they go to bed. Yeah that they're not having caffeine after one o'clock, 
that their partner was not noisy. And so, and so that's a whole story there about snoring and what we can do about it. Mm. Uh, but, but, you know, if people are then wanting to improve their airway after they've explored all of these things, um, then, yes, I think uh, there is a place there for doing some treatment orthodontically uh, from the age of five, uh, you know, or younger even, uh, right through my oldest orthodontic patient is 82 years old. Oh, wow. It's okay. never too late. So it's never too late. It's mm. never too late. Yeah. Now, we've spoken about taping your mouth before. Yeah. And this is something that you don't need orthodontic treatment for. And it's incredibly inexpensive for the open mouth sleepers. Can you talk to us about what open mouth sleeping is, why it's bad uh, or not so great, perhaps um, bad as an extreme, and, um, and how we can get our heads around this freakish uh, process of taping ourselves <laughs> going to sleep? Well, let's just explain before we lose half the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> you know... 101 breathing, okay? We are meant to breathe through our noses. Mm. We're meant to breathe from our diaphragm. So as we breathe in, our stomach goes out, that's our diaphragm, bringing air down deeper into our lungs. And our lips are together and we're breathing through our nose. Now, why is it good to breathe through your nose? So many reasons. Here are a few of them. It, it, is, it warms, humidifies and filters the air before you inhale it in your lungs. Right? So... The fine hairs in the nose clean out the particles and uh, then the mucus lining the sinuses kill the viruses and bacteria. Then the sinuses and the turbinates warm, humidify and filter the air. Then the adenoids and the tonsils also filter the air before we inhale it into our lungs. Now, when you breathe through your nose, it also stimulates the body to produce something called nitric oxide. So not nitrous oxide, happy gas that you get when you're having a baby or when you're at the dentist. Not nitrous oxide, but nitric oxide. And nitric oxide is a really powerful body regulator. Mm -hmm. so, so there is uh, what we ideally want to be doing, breathing through our noses. Now, if And the other thing that breathing through our nose does is it slows our breathing down, it helps balance out our body chemistry, which has a profound impact on smooth muscle throughout the body. Now, smooth muscle is in blood vessels, it's in the digestive tract, it's part of your bladder. So this is the connection here between do you wake up at night to go to the bathroom? Mm. Most people do not associate um, their breathing going out of balance with getting up at night to go to the bathroom. Now, an extreme example of that is children who wet their bed. And, and you know, bed wetting... I mean, you know, when, a baby, when you're a baby and before you've been toilet trained, you know, this, this is what we kind of expect. But after the age of, say, three or four, um, you know, we're kind of now expecting that, the, that we know when we need to go, go, go to the bathroom. But we have seen many patients in our practice, children of varying ages, um, who, who at the age of 10, 12, 15 are still bedwetting. And, and I had one case where a 12-year-old girl was coming in for orthodontic assessment and, and part of the history was that they suffered from enuresis. Enuresis is the technical medical term for bedwetting. Mm -hmm. and, um, and this was significant in terms of their orthodontic assessment as well because it was pretty clear to me while they were, the child was sitting there, she was sitting there listening to me like this with her mouth open 
She was breathing with her mouth open and almost hyperventilating. Right. And, and what that, and I, and to me, because of what I know about breathing, it was clear to me that there was a connection between the aneurysis, the bedwetting, and her breathing. Now, I have over the years done the Buteyko um, technique of breathing. It's a breathing technique to balance out, help balance out breathing. And I would recommend to your listeners, um, if they are interested in, in exploring this breathing issue for them or their family, uh, the Buteyko technique is a very good one. That's B-U-T-E-Y-K-O. Um, we work with several practitioners. Uh, and I've done the course twice now, I've done, and, and I've worked with a respiratory physiologist. And part of the course, and this is cheating here, okay, because there are some great exercises in the Buteyko program, and this part of the micropore tape is only a tiny little part of it. Mm. So, so what, what I learned from that was that by placing micropore tape on the mouth at night, it used the seven or eight hours of sleep to retrain my body and my brain, because we have a breathing center in our brain that gets used to us sitting there like this, or gets used to us sitting there like this. So we have used the opportunity while we're asleep to use the tape to keep our mouth together um, and, and, and breathe through our nose. Now that has profound impact on your sleep. Um, and in fact, for this young girl, um, it solved the problem of enuresis. Now, she'd been to see a neurologist, mm. a, psych a psychologist, a urologist. She had been on medications. She had, her parents had spent thousands of dollars. Wow. And I kid you not, I don't have it on my desk here, but it's a, a $2 piece of micropore tape. There are some nuances there about how to use it, as in there's a little tab you need so that you can find it at night. Don't pull the tape off in the morning, poke your tongue out. Remember, we're not telling you to tie your hands behind your back. <laughs> you will always take that tape off if you feel uncomfortable. And a really good thing to do is put the tape on while you're watching TV. Mm. Very interesting thing happens. A lot of people have a blocked nose. And I've done this in presentations many times. I say, okay, who in the room has a blocked nose? And somebody will put their hand up and I go, right, let's put some micropore tape on your mouth. Okay, and they'll sit there, and I just say, keep calm. And they'll sit there and they'll put the micropore tape on their nose because I know, on their mouth, because I know what will happen. Once the body chemistry balances out, once the nitric oxide starts to be produced, the nasal passages open up. And so this person who had a blocked nose, sitting there listening to me talk, within two or three minutes, sitting there, not passing out, not going blue, not choking, but going, hmm, wow, I can, not speaking, obviously, but yes. you're thinking, I can breathe through my nose. How weird is that? Well, that's not, that's undergraduate dentistry and medicine. That's second year biology, physio, physiology and biochemistry. It's not rocket science. It's not anything revolutionary. Okay, so we do use micropore tape and we instruct our patients carefully how to use it. We encourage them to visit a respiratory physiologist and, and, and do that. But this is such a simple thing to do. And, hey, you don't even have to do it while you're asleep. Just try it while you're working at your desk mm. and watch your body's chemistry correct itself. 
Amazing. I would love to know whether any of you guys have taped your mouths or worked with your kids to tape their mouths uh, for the mouth breathers out there. It's something uh, I am constantly working to try and get my husband to do. <laughs> I'm still not quite there yet, but uh, but I absolutely believe in the power of breathing better for better sleep and, uh, and hopefully uh, you do too after hearing that inspiring insight and more from uh, Ron. Now we're going to go into chatting to Alex Fergus on specifically on the role that blue light plays on our sleep uh, and our uh, or lack thereof, I should say. It's a really great chat, lots of hacks to bring down the amount of blue light exposure. And I think you'll feel pretty pumped to make some changes after this one. Enjoy. Now, one of the hacks that you embarked upon to sort your sleep out and to start making sleep a priority was when you discovered that uh, blue light obviously affected your awakeness in, in the night. And what you did um, with your partner, if I'm right in remembering, was you had a zero tech, no electric light screens, etc., for six weeks. So I want to I want to learn why you felt you needed to go so drastically first. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said I was a bit of a nerd. So <laughs> I think I think that was the why. It was learning about something and then you know thinking, oh, what, how can I do that? What, what can I do about that? And um, yeah, I, d- I decided, you know what? Like my girlfriend at the time, this was actually done last year. My girlfriend at the time didn't have the greatest sleep. I'd fixed mine. I was sleeping like a baby every night and. You know, I was like, oh, you've got to do all these things. And um, I realized light was so important in, in fixing one's sleep, um, which we can talk about, you know, soon. But, yeah, I was like, look, let's do this properly. Let's let's cuddle light at night and get more light in the morning and uh, just try to switch off. And, um, yeah, we come up with that idea to go six weeks where we just cut all technology. So I'm talking no cell phones, no TV, obviously no laptops, but no light bulbs, Um no, we took the light bulbs out of our fridge, out of our oven. Out of the um, fridge? Yeah, out of the fridge. We still haven't put them back in, but by the way, and it, it, it's, yeah, it's probably sure they can be annoying. But yeah, like literally no technology. I mean, look, we kept the fridge going um, and, and things like that. Like, I'm really I didn't glad go, you did for your yeah, own food safety reasons. I, I, I didn't go all caveman. <laughs> but we, we, and I, we used... Um, candles i guess some people would say well that's technology but you know we didn't go to bed as soon as uh the 7 seven thirty cutoff came we just had candles and um yeah it was a really interesting experiment obviously the first week or two like we were going to bed a lot earlier and improve sleep and it's funny we didn't even have an analog clock so we had no way to tell what the time was you know there was once the phones were off and the computer was off we had no idea what the time was none neither of us had um watches so that was kind of funny through asking what time we went to bed and i was like i, I actually don't know um but yeah so obviously our sleep improved and then as the weeks went on like you i found we changed as a couple i mean i've been with her been with rebecca for four years and um you know we've been living together for a couple of years and all of a sudden, we were going back to having these deep and meaningful conversations every night and just spend a lot more quality time. You know, there's no distraction. There's no uh, alert from the phone. You know, um, if someone gets up to go to the bathroom, you don't just straight away, like, check your cell phone to see what's happening on Facebook. Like, there was no distraction. So, yeah, I mean, we just talked and I actually don't, 
ended up doing a lot of thinking, um, which sounds crazy, but some nights she'd go to bed and read by candlelight and I'd just have a pen and paper and jot down ideas for, you know, an hour or so. And um, it was just like that clarity and, and free of distractions. And, uh, yeah, it, it definitely strengthened our relationship, uh, definitely improved our sleep. But it gave me like a, I don't know, like an insight of, you know, we are so connected and so distracted um, and that it probably doesn't hurt to just switch off now and then. Yeah, I love that. Uh, we try and do a, a couple of nights a week of just not having the phones and all that sort of stuff around us. I find it hard because the evenings is when I love chatting to my community. Right. Um, but what I've been able to do, therefore, is just make sure I have a tech-free hour or if I'm taking my son to a park, I leave the tech at home and we just go so I'm not you know, uh, tempted to just switch on uh, Facebook when the park starts boring me or, <laughs> yeah. you know, all those sorts of uh, parental challenges that we have. But, um, but yeah, I find the tech piece of um, being connected and what that does to our brains in terms of not being able to calm down, I'd say it's equal um, in, in its effect as uh, to, to what the actual blue light itself is doing. So that's sort of the perfect segue to really ask about blue light and how I know it affects melatonin production, but for people who haven't really looked at this before and really uh, need to get that information into our heads so we really understand the impact of this uh, light that's shining brightly in our in our faces all evening when we're supposed to be winding down how is it chemically doing it how what's actually happening to us during this exposure yeah right so first i think it's important to clarify what blue light is um because a lot of people hear blue light or blue blockers or, you know, blue light impacts your sleep and they look around and they think, well, there's no blue LEDs shining here or there's no, I don't have blue lights going on, so it's not a problem. But blue light, visible light is a spectrum. So if you imagine like a rainbow or like light coming, sunlight coming through a prism, obviously you get, you see all the different colors, you know, you see the violet, the blue, the green, the yellow, red and whatnot. Um, so there's a particular wavelength of light, which is blue light, which is 380 nanometers through to, uh, about 480, 500 nanometers in length. And, um, that light, that blue light spectrum is, is found in sunlight, it's found in white light, it's found in, you know, the, the backlight from your iPhone. So when I say blue light, I'm pretty much regarding, I'm talking about all light unless it is specific red light, for instance, or, you know, a green light. Now, in regards to its impact on melatonin, you're right, blue light does suppress melatonin. Uh, so melatonin is... I'm sure you know, is, is a sleep, sleep hormone. Um, it runs opposite to cortisol, which is your stress hormone, if I keep it really simple. Um, so when cortisol is high, melatonin is low. And so is this that- why when, let's say, for example, in my bartending years, and I can segue briefly mm-hmm. for anyone who didn't know, I was one of the best female bartenders in the world at one point in my career. Um <laughs> Wow. Random, but when I yeah. was, I <laughs> nice. was pumping out, you know, 250 brilliant, gorgeous drinks a night on a Friday and Saturday with my team. And there is no way you can finish doing that at the speed with which you work, preparing up to 12 cocktails at the same time, each with five, six ingredients, you know, and the matrix <laughs> going on in your mind while you're doing that. Is that why I wasn't able to just go home and go to bed straight after my shift? 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, there would have been a lot of variables at play, but you're right. Like, And this is why when I work with clients, one of the first things I do is fix their circadian rhythm um, because the circadian rhythm you know, controls controls everything. So circadian, sorry, circadian, circa means day, or sorry, about, and uh, Dion means day. So circadian rhythm is like about a day. It's your cycle, right? It's your internal body clock. Um, and that broken clock disrupts hormone release, you know, um, biological processes such as, you know, body temperature, which should be higher in the daytime, lower at night, Um, appetite, for instance, ghrelin, leptin should be released, you know, during the day, not at night. So if you're waking up in the middle of the night with, you know, cravings, that means something's broken, right? So the most important thing when it comes, I believe, when it comes to health and obviously sleep is getting a steady, consistent circadian rhythm. So and that's where light comes in. So obviously the body, we can't just look at a clock and everything will be reset. Otherwise, um, jet lag wouldn't, wouldn't ever exist, oh, right? You get off, lovely. You know, how, how nice is that? So uh, the body operates on cues from its environment. And one of the biggest cues is light. So we literally have photoreceptors in the skin and obviously in the eye that pick up what light is, is in the environment, what light we're being exposed to, and then the body reacts accordingly and away goes your circadian rhythm. This is why when you do travel, there is a bit of a two or three day um, jet lag effect, but you eventually catch up and reset. And, um, you know, there are ways to improve that time or shorten that time as well, which I've got an article about. Um, you can link to it if you'd like to. Oh, but yes, please. Anyway, we'll um, pop it in the show notes. Okay, cool. Um, I'll send you the link. But yeah, pretty much like that light cycle, if the light cycle is broken or if there's a mismatch between what the body wants and expects and the environment you're living in, then you're going to have problems. And that's going back to your story about your bartending work. That's why you'd go home and it might be 3 a.m. in the morning where everyone else is asleep and you're, you're wired because literally half an hour ago, you're exposed to loud music, which is stimulating, um, bright flashing lights, you know, in the club or wherever you're working, plus the drive home, plus the, the lights in the hallway and all that. They're literally sending signals to the brain that it's middle of the day, like it's daytime. Um, and then worse, if you, get, if you get into bed and then you have your iPhone directly in front of your face, again, it's, it's, there's a saying, um, I forgot who, who said it, Jack Cruz, he said, uh, every time you're looking at your, your phone, you're sending a signal to the brain that it's daytime and all these devices we have are literally artificial suns. And he's, he's, he's correct. That is because- perfect. So just as a nugget of aha, every device that we have is an artificial sun when it comes to messages being sent to our brain. 100%. Yeah. And that's why... If you put your ancestral hat on and go back, I don't know, 200 years, 2,000 years, the light bulb was invented in the late 1800s. So prior to that, when the sun went down, we had candles and fire and maybe moonlight, which is not very bright at all. And that was it. Like there was no source of light other than fire, right? And fire, if you actually look at it, um, if you look at a... If you Google um, fire or sun um, wavelengths, you'll see some pretty cool graphs showing, you know, the breakdown of light spectrum and in, in various light sources. So, you know, um, fires, candles, incandescent light bulbs, fluorescent light bulbs. And you'll see with fire that it's predominantly red, 
orange light and there's very, very little blue light in it. So again, taking the ancestral approach for eons, you know, we evolved or grew up or whatever uh, label you wanted to put on it. But we, we lived in this world where when the sun was up, we were getting full spectrum light, which included blue, included red, when, and, and we're awake. And when the sun went down, we didn't get much light at all. And if we did, it was red light. And that was when we slept and rested and recovered. You know, late 1800s, the light bulbs invented that obviously changed the world. Uh, however, those incandescent light bulbs were, again, predominantly red, orange light. So it didn't have the biggest impact. It wasn't until 20, 30 years ago, or maybe a little bit longer, um, when we had things like these energy efficient fluorescent light bulbs, um, halogen light bulbs. Now, all of a sudden, they're emitting a lot more blues and, and greens, amongst other things. Um, that are causing the stimulating effect. And now worse today is incandescent light bulbs are actually banned here in Australia, um, so you can't buy them. And everyone has an artificial sun <laughs> in their pocket, which is in front of their eyes. You know, So it's a the change. I mean, people think this is all kind of a little bit woo-woo or like it's, you know, people get so caught up in training and diet and they'll see an article about life and how it impacts, you know, sleep. And people won't even read it. Oh, what are you on about? I say it all the time with my clients. I literally have to just keep hammering in. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And eventually when they start seeing the changes, it's like, oh, okay, there is something to this. And it's like, well, and of course there is. Absolutely. I mean, it's like it. with sugar. You know, I do a lot of talks and when I do those talks, I – explain to people there is nothing wrong with sugar. There's actually nothing wrong with having a little yummy whole food oriented biscuit or even a piece of cake every day if you wanted to. What's wrong is the fact that we're having carbs at every single meal that, you know, turn into sugar and then we're actually not just having that small piece of cake. We're having probably three because we can't help ourselves. We're probably having four cookies, not one. We're probably then having some chocolate after dinner and we're having a sweet something in the afternoon and we're actually having so much and there is no way you can say that our biochemistry would have caught up to this crazy increase where today we have the average eight-year-old having had as much sugar as someone had in their entire lives a century ago. So, you know, and it's the same with um, the blue light. I absolutely agree. So do we have to put all our devices down? I mean, everyone's out there sort of terrified that you're going to try and take Facebook away from them. Can you give us any good news and what can we do? I mean, when you're talking about sugar, right, it's it's a good um, analogy in a way because the dose – the toxins in the dose, right? You're 100% right. You can have a little bit of sugar and you'll be fine. It's when you're having it all the time that causes problems or when you're having it. And also with sugar as well, like, you know, a couple hundred years ago, you couldn't get table sugar like we have today. Um, so if you apply that to light as well, like natural sources of light, you know, fire, sunlight, you're, you're fine. But it's when we bring in these artificial sources, like effectively processed sources, if you if you want to apply it to the sugar story, um, that's when things start going wrong. So, I mean, yes, the ideal uh, answer or the ideal 
scenario would be to switch off completely and go live in the bush or on an island. And in fact, there's been studies done where people, the sleep participant or the, the study participants went camping for a week and they found within a week with no technology that their sleep and everything improved, like their skating biology improved, their hormonal function throughout the day improved, you know, and they weren't taking any fancy Chinese herbal <laughs> supplements. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, yeah, that is the the... I don't know, obviously the the grand way yeah, to do exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. And but I think the modern the modern challenge is finding a way to incorporate nature back in exactly. in a significant way while still yep. feeling you can operate beautifully within a city and have a great life with all your friends. You know, and I think mindfulness is key. Absolutely. Yeah. So, obviously no one's going to do Exactly that. They might do it for a week here and there, which is great. Um, you might do a crazy experiment like I did. Great. But not many people are going to do it every day. Uh, so fortunately, there are um, hacks, I guess you could call them, or techniques you can use to um, mitigate the um, impact of blue light. So we know that red light doesn't suppress melatonin. It's only blue light. Green light has a bit of an impact, but not as much as, as blue. Um so knowing that, uh, and by the way, there was a study done where they looked at uh, caffeine and the impact of caffeine on sleep. And everyone knows, you know, you wouldn't have a coffee right before bed if you were trying to get to sleep. And it was a double espresso and they found that it was delaying uh, melatonin production by 45 minutes, right? So 200 milligrams of caffeine. And then they looked at exposure to bright br- br- uh, bright blue light, it's a tongue twister, and um at the same time, you know, for an hour or two before bed, and it had a uh, eighty-five minute delay on melatonin production. So it was twice twice <laughs> as powerful as as the caffeine. And again, no one would take caffeine right before bed, but we'll happily sit behind our computer. So what do you do? All right, well, again, we just need to block out the blue light. Hence these articles, you know, blue blockers, blue light. Um, you'll see everywhere. Um, blue light filters. Anyone that's using an iPhone that's updated to the the latest um, iOS software, we'll see the night shift yes. mode, which You've done this for me on my phone and I love it. Yeah. It really does make a difference because I really like reading a good, big, nerdy New York Times article um, or an op-ed or something really kind of boring basically to put me to sleep. Yeah. Um, and now that I've got my red light screen, I, I really find that I cannot get halfway through the article and I find yeah. that so interesting because I used to be able to read it and then – go on to reading something else because I wasn't tired yet. And I, I've said this to a couple of friends in my realisation of my own sleep, um, shall we say, shortcomings and challenges, yeah. uh, that I'm a, in inverted commas, night owl. But actually, yeah. I think I'm a blue light owl and that's why <laughs> I have absolutely no problem uh, staying up till one in the morning. But, you know, that's yeah. fine if you're pushing a deadline, you know, once a month or whatever, which is what I'm more like now. But uh, yeah. there was a time when I was doing it all too frequently and that can really stuff you around. So, mm. Yeah, you're right. We adapt to our environments, right? We adapt to the world we live in. If you're eating a ton of sugar all day, every day, you're telling the body that summer's nearly over, we're coming into a long winter, store as much fat as possible, right? Um, it's the same with light. If you're exposing yourself to a lot of bright light at right before bed every single night, yeah, you're telling the body that the days are long, it's summertime, um, we should still be awake because 
the only natural source of blue light is going to be from the sun. So even though it's 1 a.m. in the morning, you know what I mean? So yeah, you do adapt um, whether that's good for long-term health. I, I don't know. I don't think so. But uh, yeah, there's definitely ways to, um, to have the best of both worlds. And so obviously anyone with an iPhone, you should be installing the night shift I think it's called Night Shift feature straight away because um, that's an easy one, right? It's free. You don't have to do anything. And you probably don't even notice it like because it slowly comes on. But otherwise, um, you can do – it's the eye that's the most sensitive. So you want to block the light coming into the eye. Um, so even though the phone might have a filter, your TV might not or your, your laptop. Though There is a software called Flux. Uh, I think it's Get flux.com f-l-u-x.com and that works the same way as night shift mode um so you can install that on your computer but again what about like the fridge light what about when you go to the bathroom you turn the white bright light led on and every time you're doing that again you're getting that dose of, of blue light so the best thing to do and um this is what I have all my clients do and, and I've been doing it for years is to wear the blue blocking glasses because in that way you can be in a brightly lit artificial light environment but at least that light's not getting into the eye so which my husband yeah. and I now feel like we're in a sci-fi movie together <laughs> <laughs> but it works it totally it works, works right. it really really does I find especially um uh you know just doing the light switching off at night you know where we might have been in um the main part of the house um, and then my son's left a light on somewhere and going back into that super bright light when you're not wearing the glasses, yeah. all, all of a sudden I find that mega, like, confronting. You feel yeah. it, right? You're like, whoa, whoa, yeah. no, it's yeah. not daytime. So, whereas before it's... I would just never have even thought about it. It's, it's, it is that powerful. We're the same. Like I have, um, obviously I have my blue blockers on and I actually have red led night lights, which you could use, you know, as a reading lamp or as a night light. If you get up during the night to look after your kids or you go to the bathroom. Um, so I have them all in our house and we've got blackout curtains and, um, you know, our, our, as soon as the sun goes down, our, my house, my apartment is, is pretty dark, but my girlfriend comes home about an hour or two after me. I, I work from home. So Sometimes I'll meet her at the door and, of course, like the hallway is, you know, fluorescent lights and white lights and uh, I might not have my glasses on because obviously yeah, our just come environment's in. so dark mm. anyway, right? And, um, yeah, like I greet her at the door, open the door for her and you, you see that white light and you're just like, whoa, <laughs> and it's, it is powerful. So, yeah, I mean the, the takeaways are simple. Like you make, your, you make your environment as dark as possible and – if that's just simply turning off the overhead lights and just using the, you know, the bedside light and a reading light, that's great. Um, Himalayan rock salt lamps, they're perfect. We actually use them uh, in my apartment because it's a low wattage incandescent light bulb. So straight away, you've got low blue light exposure from that light bulb. But then it's inside a, you know, pink, orange kind of rock lamp. So again, that's acting like as a filter as such. And it puts out like a nice orange glow in the um, in the room. So we we use that, um, you know, when we're eating for dinner. Otherwise, you could use candles, but they can get a bit messy. Um, and then the glasses, glasses, the big one. And uh, then you can still watch your TV and watch a movie and and know that you'll probably still sleep pretty well that night. That's fantastic. 
And there we go. How cool was it to learn all about the different ways that we're exposing ourselves to blue light? Often we don't think about those inadvertent exposures like a bathroom light on or the fridge light on. And uh, and I'd be super keen to hear any changes that you make and any differences that you notice from reducing your blue light exposure, either in the show notes comments um, or over in the Low Tox Club if you've joined us via Patreon to be a part of our Facebook chat group and um, and club stuff, uh, which I talked about at the beginning of the show. So that was my little sleep mashup. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you so much for all the wonderful reviews that people leave on iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you so much to everybody who shares some of the ahas that you've had, uh, shares the podcast with your friends. That is the way that we grow. Uh, when you have a small business, you can't throw a whole bunch of ad dollars at things. You literally rely on your audience saying, Hey, I reckon you'd be into this as well. So I really appreciate every time you recommend either this show or any of the shows that we've done to a friend who might uh, benefit from listening to them. I shall sign off now and leave you to wonder what next week's mashup might be about. Have a great week. (laughs) 